Hi, this is Michael Lowe, and you're listening to... May I ask you a question? This is the third and final episode of my recent conversation with Aaron Gray, pastor for Preaching and Vision at Sound City Bible Church in Linwood, Washington, where my family and I attend. We talk about what it's been like for Aaron to pastor during COVID-19 and what we see for the church moving forward in an unsettled and evolving American culture. Thanks for listening. A couple more categories. Okay. Um, pandemic, COVID-19. Yeah. yeah, heard of it. it <laughs> experienced it. It appears to be a uh, generationally defining event. I think so, yeah. To where we'll all be able to talk about it, um, maybe even have different experiences based on it. Um, for you as a pastor, how has it been to navigate that? Yeah, it's been borderline impossible feeling at times Mm -hmm. because um, even in the case of a different tragedy, I want to be very careful how I say this because I've not lived through like a New Orleans hurricane or a, you know, San Francisco earthquake or something like that or a, or a, you know, World War II bombing London or something like that. But Things like that mm-hmm. feel more like, oh, well, others have gone through it or we could you know, kind of address it. Maybe it feels a little bit more tangible in some ways, whereas mm-hmm. this pandemic has felt so intangible. Yeah, it's unseen. Um, the, the interesting thing, I've, I feel like I've seen a parallel between the virus itself and what has happened in society. So I'm by no means a medical expert, but my best understanding is the COVID-19 virus, it there's all this talk about comorbidities and all of these other things that the virus is not in and of itself what most like takes most lives. Yeah, yeah. It's that it exploits other weaknesses, physiological weaknesses and things. And it, it reveals what was already unhealthy and then just decimates it. Yeah. What's really interesting is it feels like that's what's happened in our society is yeah. that COVID has revealed all of these things that were weaknesses and has exploited it. Yeah. Um, like when you're when you're in high school, I don't know if you ever did, had to do this, but to, like a math class or science class, you had to build a bridge and you had to put a bunch of rocks in the middle of the bridge yeah, yeah, and then yeah. where it would break and where yeah. it would collapse. You it's like, oh, there's the weak points. I need yeah. to re-architect that. That's what COVID has done. Um, it's, I don't know, it's correlation or causation, all of the issues around racial unrest mm-hmm. and and racial justice in our society, all of the issues around just the, the politics and the you know how much of that is the specifically the Donald Trump phenomenon of just being such a unusual and polarizing political yeah. figure. Yeah. It's hard to know how much of its correlation, how much of its causation, how much of it was a bunch of different factors that all just happened to pop at once. Yeah. But it's been very difficult to navigate. Yeah. Um, I think most anybody in any leadership position knows it's been so difficult to navigate. Um what do you think, even as you've talked to other uh, church leaders, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think the the short and long-term effects on the, the, the churches have, uh, is going to be? Yeah. Well, the short-term effects is it's really hard to know who you're pastoring. Uh, Book of Hebrews talks about giving account for those that you lead mm-hmm. as shepherds and there are times where it's like, I, I honestly don't know because so many people, whether it's, you know, having to stay online and, and you know, participate in worship remotely yeah, yeah. or... Like who's attending? Who's before. attending? Yeah. How many people have left the church and found other churches? We've had, I mean, there's been a huge church swap over the last two years yeah. across the nation. Yeah. Talking with my, my buddy, uh, uh, Jamal, is a pastor in Louisville. And he's like, man, we, we, when we first came back to start gathering and worship in person, I'm looking around, he's like... 
who is this church? Who am I preaching to? This yeah. isn't the this isn't the church I was used to preaching to. And, yeah. Um, that's that's all across the country. My, my, my buddy John in New York, uh, you know Joe in Ohio, other guys here in the Seattle area. Yeah. Such a swap of people. Yeah, I think that it's given people maybe the here's my optimism coming out again. Maybe for some, it's given them an opportunity to say, yeah, we were a part of this church and we weren't really a good fit, or we wanted to, you know, there's somewhere else that the Lord has us. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the negative side, it, it could be. People just disconnecting from church, period, and not really yeah. participating. Um, the, the well, I'm just watching online, turns into, well, I'll watch online later, turns into, well, we're not really kind of watching online, turns yeah. into, we don't go to church anymore, which um, I have a deep conviction about the gathered body of Christ for worship, for yeah. for singing and preaching and sacraments. So that's, yeah. a, that's a concerning trend for me. Long term, I don't know. I just, I... I feel like any time I've thought I had any sort of prediction on anything over the last two years. You don't play the stock market that way? I just don't. I'm not a gambler. Yeah. I don't have a good poker face. I yeah. don't play the stock market. I, That's good. You uh, think externally, right? Yeah, exactly. I do. I wear my emotions. Should I play this card? Yeah, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and apparently my poker face is non-existent too. So I think that um, maybe one thing that I do hope for is for there to be, you know, like what our church is going through right now, the season of renewal, of reevaluating who we are and what is it we're actually supposed to do. Yeah. Because, again, the all the weights on the bridge can kind of collapse. So yeah. it's time to go back to the drawing board and say, all right, let's, let's uh, <laughs> to borrow the to borrow the phrase, let's build back better, right? You know, yeah. let's, let's, let's seek the Lord for who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to actually be on mission. I, I also hope that there is increased localization. Hmm. I think that... Um, in the age of globalization, the age of the internet, the age of, you know, everything out there, I really hope and pray that more local churches will have a stronger sense of location. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we do, I, I'm not speaking as like someone who's leading a church that does it well, but even things like the parish model where you have a, a real sense of localization where yeah. people kind of live yeah. in a community, know the people in the community and serve in that community. Yeah. I hope for more of that. I hope for less... Uh, disembodied kind of internet existence and more just locale and localization yeah. and local presence. Like I really like listening to that person who's 3,000 miles Totally, away. yeah. And I mean, I had a former church member say that to me. Oh, yeah, well, we, we were like, we we're watching our church online, but then we realized there was this other church in, you know, 20 states away that they're, you know, we just really like their stuff. Like, well, okay, they have a better slick production, so you like that. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if those trends are reversible or not, but... yeah. I, I kind of hope for more localization. I hope for more stronger identity for local churches to have. And and I hope for people to maybe get enough kind of starved for that relationship to realize that embodiment is so important. Yeah, explain what you mean by embodiment. I think that the Christian church in America for quite a while, post-enlightenment, I mean, really maybe the entirety of American history, has focused on the salvation of our souls and neglected the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. neglected the body so a few weeks ago i preached a sermon on the importance of our bodies our physical selves god created us from the dust of the earth the end of the story we will exist in a new heavens and a new earth with resurrected glorified bodies where we are embodied creatures we're meant to be embodied mm-hmm. um watched a documentary last year and they talked about these mirror neurons hmm. there's neurons in your brain that if i smile will light up in your brain even if you don't smile and it's just the wild ways that we're connected. If you want to get real nerdy into string theory or quantum physics and just the way that like just our bodies 
are are integral to who we are as human human beings. Yeah. And the more that we exist on the cloud or in the, I mean, even that language, the cloud, right? Yeah, Disembodied, yeah. Yeah. the internet. Like, I love podcasts. If people listen to this, I love podcasts. Right. But a podcast is a, a. It's not a replacement. It's not a replacement for sitting down at a coffee shop with a friend or in yeah. their living room and, and hugging them and putting a hand on them and praying for them and having yeah. a face to face conversation. Embodiment just really matters. Yeah. Uh, 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 I love recorded music. Live music is, yeah. you know, you just, this is just a shared. Like, yeah. I've always used the phrase shared energy, right? There you go. Yeah. Like when mm-hmm. you go to see a scary movie, it's so much more ex- exhilarating or yeah. exciting when you do it in a theater with a group of people mm-hmm. so, yep. just by yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I usually turn it off if I'm by myself. I don't like scary movies. So. <laughs> I, I don't either. <laughs> I just heard. I would, um, I would, I would do it in a theater though if there was a whole group of us doing it together. Yeah. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, let's share yeah. the experience together. Totally. Yeah. Um, you kept talking about the weight. Uh, what would you say that weight is? Hmm. Disruption of the status quo would maybe be my biggest way I could phrase mm-hmm. it, like the yep. largest umbrella, because, um, you know, in life we love rhythms, we love routine, we love finding things, you know, that to make things easier. And this, the pandemic has been such a disruption of, all of the crutches, the normal things that we use to lean on yep. have all been disrupted. And so now instead of having those things to lean on, we're now feeling the weight. Our, our, our good friend Myung mm-hmm. blew out his knee recently playing basketball. Yep. And today I saw him walking around the office a little bit without his crutches. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, ooh, it's like he's feeling the weight now because he doesn't have those he didn't have those crutches. Yeah. He went to his first uh, physical therapy appointment today. Oh, he did? Yeah, he had his first PT. So. Oh, it's been four weeks, yeah. I guess so, yeah. I need to text Ish. him and find out how he's, uh, how he's feeling. He's probably, <laughs> he's probably feeling it, yeah. He's probably hurting bad. But there's so many things in life that we just kind of lean on yeah. and they, in one moment, feel like they all got kicked out from underneath us. For sure. Um, I mean, even something as, as silly as sports, like you and I have talked about sports who like basketball. And yeah. I remember the NBA was the first thing to cancel. Yeah. Like Rudy f- got bear, go bear tested positive. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And it's like, wow, there's no basketball all of a right. sudden. That's just one little crutch that we lean on to right. get through our days. Well, I've got a basketball game to watch now. It'll be fun. And and the the kind of the uncertainty of how how dangerous is this, right? Initially, yep, totally. Like because you heard Tom Hanks got it. Like, oh no, what's, yeah. what's going to happen? America's treasure. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the uncertainty, the fear, the lack of the normal things we would lean on. The school. I mean, the rhythm of school, the rhythm yep. of driving. You know, to and from your office. The ability to do fun activities like go to a bar or a restaurant. Just all the things that people kind of take for granted mixed with the fear which when you you know kind of thinking of it from a family system theory, you put all that anxiety into a culture and now we're all just a bunch of ping pong balls in a you know you know a hurricane simulator machine yeah. and grasping uh, for some sense of confidence or certainty yeah and, yeah what is what is gonna happen where is day where is night what's my rhythm what's my schedule yeah. what's Snow those globe things? is shaking yeah so i don't know if i have anything more eloquent to say about that but just you yeah. just feel like everything was disrupted and that weight and that pressure is um, we'll we'll be untangling this for a long time. Yeah, I'll just say that. We're, we, why was there all of a sudden a bunch of, um, you know, the the protests that erupted around racial injustices in America last year? Why why did that happen all of a sudden? Is, is it correlation, causation, coincidence? How I don't I don't know. Yeah. I'm no expert in that. But we're going to be untangling this stuff for a long time. Yeah, I it 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 seems like we're kind of towards the end of. The immediate, the acute phase. Yeah, but then you just kind of there's an 
the curiosity, I guess, that I have, like, okay, what are we going to think about this in five, ten years, yeah. right? Because we're all going to be able to talk about it. And, you know, people introduce their kids as COVID babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Totally. Yeah. But, totally. Um, my children are all going to, like, so my oldest is 17, my youngest is nine. Mm-hmm. So from, you know, 15 to 17 or from seven to nine, they're all going to grow up remembering this. Yeah. You know, I remember... Nine eleven. 9-11 was for me. I was in college when 9-11 happened. Yeah, had. I was a freshman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, but that's like, I will never forget that. No. I'll never forget that sitting in the classroom and just looking around at everyone and that weird feeling. And it's been, now it's been, what, 21 years. Oh. I can still viscerally feel that feeling. And we're still unpacking the, you know, we're still, well, first of all, we're still taking our shoes off in airports because of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. We're still feeling the effects of it. Yeah. And, you know, society has been forever altered by something like that. Yep. So. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? We're with still that. wearing masks in some places. We might still be wearing masks for a long <laughs> while. Yep. The one place, you know, when mask stuff is all lifted, the only place I really love wearing a mask is in public restrooms because that stinks in there, and wearing the mask is helpful. So I might keep one on me just for just for public restrooms. <laughs> my, my my wife, uh, my son was playing around and he was uh, he was like kicking his feet against me and all this stuff. And I was like, stop, stop! And she was like, well, it's fine. Just you know, leave, leave him be. And I was like. Christy, we just went to the bathroom with him. Yeah. You don't know what men's bathrooms are like. Yeah. They're nasty. <laughs> Men are gross. Men are gross. <laughs> um, thinking about um, the pandemic, thinking about you know all the stuff that you mentioned, like the political mm-hmm. uh, polarization, yep. the uh, so- social unrest, the ethnic, um, you know, racial turmoil, turmoil, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. whatever words you want to use. Um, even perspectives on the pandemic mm-hmm. and its severity, its legitimacy, its real reasons behind it. If there are, yeah. are other ones, right. um, it, it, Americans are not very aligned. Nope. Uh, and, and so, um, and we don't seem to be particularly concerned with being aligned. Yeah. So, uh, and I think in addition to that, it, it, to some extent, the voice of the church Hmm. Uh, seems to be uh, diluted or diminished. Yeah. Um, what What do you th- see or think for the church moving forward? Yeah. Um, I really have a pretty strong conviction that the church needs to disentangle itself from the game of politics that's currently being played mm-hmm. and just play a different game. Yeah. Play a whole different game. So you have the more traditional right-wing moral majority, uh, Republican, God and guns and country kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, that has existed in really strong form since the late 1970s with Jerry Falwell and the moral majority and the alignment between the Republican Party and, and the American Evangelical Church. You also have a... Um, the, the, there has been a left-wing version of that for a long time, uh, but it existed in more... Um, like ethnic minorities, like the black church, you know, we'd have kind of stereotypically, you'd have like Democrat uh, senators would come or Congress people would come and speak, <coughs> speak at those churches. Um, now you're seeing a kind of a mainstreaming of the left wing version of it as well with the more pro, uh, you know, progressive church or um, if you want to talk about like the ex-evangelical sort of crowd, there's a yeah. there's a, a rise of that. Like the deconstructing. The, yeah, the, the deconstructing sort of thing. And, and I have a, a lot of care and sympathy for people who are going through like a crisis of faith. Yeah. But what's interesting is in the more left-wing movement that is now happening, it really looks like the, the right-wing kind of fundamentalist 
tactics, but just with a different yeah. set of political yeah, principles. There's, there's the same posturing. This is yep. Sunday schooling. There's yep. the same. And so what I'm convinced is not a not a middle ground, like a compromise between the two, mm-hmm. but to say, I'm just not going to play that game. Yeah. If we are truly, as Christians, citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, if we really were rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of uh, his son, if we were, if all that language about like political imprisonment and political freedom like it's all throughout the new testament it's all throughout the bible period yeah the people of israel being set free from slavery in in egypt it's it's we're part of a a different society yeah and the local church i don't remember where i heard this language i just need to find it so i can attribute it but it's we're like an embassy of the kingdom of heaven yeah we're the embassy of the kingdom of heaven and that there are things that christians of all different stripes can and should be able to agree on regardless of political party and affiliation and all of that to be able to center ourselves around the fact that Jesus is the king. Yeah. He's not up for re-election. He yeah. is he is the one who's in charge. Our allegiance must belong to him first and foremost above anything else. Yeah. And um and we can have conversations and disagreements about what's the best way to enact things in our culture but the priorities of the kingdom jesus laid out very clearly for us in the sermon on the mount and uh to rally churches around that way of living yeah and not get just not get caught up in the game and it sounds pretty uh um i don't know what the right word is like idealistic or there's some wishful thinking there because it seems like right now um, there's a Muslim scholar named uh, Shadi Hamid who had an article in the Atlantic last year called yeah, "How Politics Has yep. Become the De facto De facto Religion in America." Yeah. Like that's the game that everyone's playing, and the more that we as Christians can disentangle ourselves from that game and keep focus first on the kingdom of God, uh, I think we would. I think that's where we need to head. Well, it's, yeah, as you're talking, it almost seems uh, that initially or historically. The church was the institution that politics tried to tap into, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's almost the inverse, right? The, the po- yeah. uh, or it, the size of the institutions are are, are reversed. Probably, now. yeah. The, actually, po- actually, the yeah. political institutions are so much bigger. But I think you can actually prove that uh, historically, from especially in the United States of America, the yeah. church, the number of churches, the people in churches versus the size of the government at the founding, which was rather small. Yeah. It's actually after the Civil War that the size of the federal government in particular really started to grow because huh. it was Lincoln's reunification project. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think you can prove that, what you said. Um, As a non-trained historian, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can prove that. And, and the other thought I ha- I've, I've had for a little bit is that it, it, it really does seem that we are in either, you can call it a culture war or an identity war. Yeah. And um, for the past, I don't know, Five to ten years, it seems like politics has, has kind of gotten its stronghold on the sense of identity that mm-hmm. Americans have. Yep. And what I hear you saying is is that, and especially it was accentuated by you know, would you call it the Trump, uh, the Trump phenomenon? Phenomenon. Yeah, it's a wild thing. That ex- accentuated it, and then the pandemic accentuated it too, to where everything that we thought about was through this political lens, and yep. uh, everything was defined that way. And, and and the sense of identity was decreasingly like, oh, no, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm living for Christ. Yep. And, you know, I had one guy say to me, I really don't want to get vaccinated. Hmm. This is not a hill I'm going to die on. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And, and so if my job is going to force me to do it, I'd rather provide for my family yep. and not have to look for a new job, those sorts of things. Yep. And, but it, it is, it's fascinating. I mean, and. 
fighting for that identity. Yep. Uh, we we also appear to be a society that's uh, a little bit too um, affectionate for our own rhetoric. Mm. Yeah. And I've wondered, you know, what is it the church could be doing to define itself differently <sighs> and caring for people? Like, you know, what, yeah. your, what your parents did for you, uh, yeah. you know, for people in the society growing up. I, I also think that, um, well, this is a side point, but in addition to playing, not playing the political game, the, the effect of the internet, I mean, we think about how new we still are in yeah. specifically in the experiment of social media. Yeah. And the way that these technologies shape our thinking, shape our reactivity. So I mentioned earlier, like anxiety and reactivity. Uh, Again, I'm not a trained scientist, but I've read articles where you can, I think, scientifically prove the dopamine hits that we get from using social media. And that increases reactivity just in our brains. So every time we're on these devices, every time we're watching cable news, people have figured out ways to manipulate our brains yeah. to get the most interactions out of us. Yeah. And, the and more, it's sold as a way to connect. It's sold as a way to connect, but it actually has <coughs> the exact opposite effect. Yeah. It literally does the exact opposite effect. Even more isolated. Yeah, so that brings me back around to like the idea of localization, where churches are really, and just local Christians, are really connected in their neighborhood with people they know. A lot more time spent doing what we're doing right now, just sitting and talking face-to-face yeah. in the same room. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful for technology. I love podcasts. I'm, I'm even, I'll even say I'm thankful for Zoom a little bit because I used to use Zoom before the pandemic yeah. to connect with some pastor friends of mine that are in different states. And yeah. there's value in all that stuff, but yeah. it just doesn't replace life-on-life, face-to-face, human-to-human, embodied contact. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, for the... For the church where we exist in, you know, the the internet and you get to see the worst caricatures of people. And even the fact that if you were sitting in the room and someone said something to you yeah. versus reading it on the screen yeah. causes a different type of physiological and mental reaction from me. Yeah. Um, should tell us something about a way, a pathway towards health. Again, the pessimist in me is like, I don't know if we're too far gone down that pathway to do it but right like do we have the common sense to, yeah. to draw ourselves away from that if i knew how to make a gigantic emp and blow up all the electronics in the world for like a week i would do that but <laughs> just it, for a week yeah just for a week <laughs> just a <laughs> temporary it's EMP, just a dormancy a t-e-m-p a temporary yeah. <laughs> emp just there's literally no electricity for one week we're all going to be fine there's enough have you ever foods. gone to one of those retreats I have been to like uh, monasteries and some retreat centers and stuff where there's like no technology allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a wild feeling. It's a yeah. disorienting feeling. Well, Even during sabbatical, practicing some of that, you realize how well. much you just reach for. It. Oh you yeah, just reach for, it and it's just it's totally reflexive. You know what's funny? Uh, I went to a concert of a band called the Raconteurs. Okay. Uh, Tours is Jack White, one okay. of his bands. Okay. And Jack White has a big like no cell phones thing. So as we walked in, they hand you this like kind of big pouch. And they, you drop your phone on it, and then it seals. It's a magnetically sealed thing, and they've got the key that unseals it. They hand it back to you. Like, you can't get your phone out. But you have your phone in I your possession. I have it with me, but you just can't get it out and use it. Yeah. So instead, I've got a big bulgy thing in my back pocket. And I was like, what do I do? Like, what if the kids need us? Or what yeah. if whatever? They had these sections that was like designated smoking sections. It was yeah, designated yeah. phone sections. You could get to, <laughs> and there was a bouncer there that would unlock your phone. So it's not just the Catholic monks are doing it. It's Jack White too. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> but he gets it, right? Like he gets yeah. that. Like if you're coming to a concert. You're, you're at a concert. Yeah. You're not. Well, just watch it on YouTube if you want to be on your phone. Exactly. And experience life through your six inch screen. Yep. I did. I was also at another concert recently where it's like the, the hit song starts playing and just ever. It's a sea of phones that come out. I'm like. 
Well, I don't need to get my phone out. I'll just find it on YouTube and be like, yeah, yeah. I stand it right. I was four people behind that guy right there. I struggle with that so much because I'm like, when I have, you know, we went to Disneyland recently yeah. and I was like, oh, I want to, I want to cherish these memories. So I'm taking yeah. pictures of my son, but like, I also just want to be present with him yep. and not ex- have my phone in between yeah. us. I think there's a place for all of it. There's a place yeah. for all that technology, but the focal point needs to be on personal embodied yeah. relationships. So. Yeah. Um, I had one more. Okay. Um, there, uh, the question is, how do you define success for a church? Hmm. But I, I, I've been thinking about it because you think about the church, you think about businesses, right? Yeah. And we deliver a product or we deliver a service and there's a contract and like, okay, it's done. And there's a transaction to it. Yeah. And, but the church doesn't necessarily deliver a product, a yeah. tangible product that people are conscious that they want to uh, obtain. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> and people will try and engage it on, uh, you know, population, Do- yep. baptisms, conversions. Dollars uh, and butts. Butts yeah, and do- seeds, yeah. dollars in the bank. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, people will try and engage it on maturity, which is really – yeah. are you going to create a rating system for yeah. that? Oh, or, good. Congratulations. You're a level nine mature Christian. Now. Yeah, yeah. And you leveled up. Yeah. Just turned, no, he's it's turned in a video game. Masons or yeah. something. <laughs> Three Masons. So um, – or uh, is that Scientology too? You level up. Oh, do they? I think that's one. I think that's something the Scientology does. <laughs> I mean, but you kind of get it too because people are wanting to know, like, am I actually progressing here, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, in, in, in I don't know if you've had this the conversation yeah. specifically in leadership conversations, but like, how do you guys define that? Yeah, I think that um, kind of going all the way back to the Mars Hill portion of the conversation. Marshall had such a high emphasis on tangible metrics, yeah. dollars, you know, churches planted, small groups, membership, like baptisms, all that. It was such these tangible metrics. Yeah. For our first seven years as a church, we've really shied away from a lot of those. Like we still kept an account because you want to have like, you know, how many dollars you have in the bank and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But we've really um, probably, I would say, overreacted against some of those things. So those things are kind of helpful in one sense. But again, you could have a totally abusive, narcissistic pastor leading a church that has a lot of money in the bank and a lot of people showing up. So that's actually not a metric of health or growth. Yeah. And the problem is, is like you're saying, it's it's like how do you measure some of those things? So some things in like classical education we maybe could look to in terms of being helpful. There's some things in other humanities, right? Like other um, as, as a former music teacher – you know, how do I know that a music student is progressing? Well, they're taking on more challenging pieces and they're mm-hmm. learning how to deal with them gracefully. I think for Christians, you know, they're taking on more challenging life circumstances and able mm-hmm. to deal with them graciously. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the Living day... less suburbanly. Yeah. <laughs> countercultural suburban life, man. Uh, but it's it's probably mostly just comes back to the fruit of the Spirit yeah. and seeing the ways that those things are being played out in our lives. Um, at the end of the day, every church has the same mission. Yeah. Make disciples. Yeah. Help grow disciples bring new disciples in build them up to be uh and and then some of that's how do you define disciples right so the simplest way is you're walking with jesus and you're walking like jesus right the discipleship is that journey of of relationship and likeness yeah so uh, we are actually in a process right now. It's a great question, and I think that is the season that we're in right now as a church of trying to define like what does that mean to be successful? What is the success we're aiming for? Yeah. If it's number of podcasts downloaded, well, all I have to do is just say some more outlandish things on Sundays, and we can get that right. right. Yeah. Um, if it's 
Well, I, I, I will try not to, yes. <laughs> At least not necessarily. Yeah, you're right. Um, if it's, you know, what, so what is that goal? Is it is it building a bigger building? Well, then all that takes right. is courting the largest donors or whatever. Like, there's strategies you can do if that's your goal. If the goal is to build disciples yeah. who walk with and, and act like Jesus, yeah. that's going to take a lot more careful, nuanced thinking. And that's the, that's the process that I find myself leading in here now this season. And it's not, in some ways, it's not unlike sports because they talk about all this data and all the metrics, but yeah. you, you... All the analytics that have taken over sports. Right, yeah. and and you can only rely on it so much, though, right? right? Because yeah. if you become too myopic towards certain metrics, then however helpful they are, you just, they yeah. can't take you to where you need to go. And, like, yeah. you know, I'm a Warriors fan, and yeah. there's the continuity piece, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that has been so helpful for them yeah. over the years, and... Uh, yeah, but, the, all the intangibles, right? Yeah. Well, like a good owner, yeah. Right, those sorts of things. Like, yeah. is there is there metrics on that? I mean, there probably can be, but I don't. Yeah, and I think some of the metrics on that, like it robs the humanity of it, right? Yeah. I mean, I come up, so I'm I'm a sports fan. I'm not an athlete, but I am a musician. Yeah. And there are intangibles of playing. So the first band I was ever in, uh, I had a drummer. His name's Josh. We played in the first like three bands together. We were we were all we were in all three of those bands. So we played together for over a decade of yeah. all of our formative like teenage and young adult years yeah. and towards the end there i mean there's times where we would like just be playing a song we've played you know played 50 times and he would just randomly do one tiny little different thing and i would automatically do the exact same different thing with him just because it's like musical esp like yeah, i yeah, can't it's yeah. it's i don't know if it's i don't know if it's mirror neurons i don't know what it is it's yeah the work of the holy spirit i don't know but you're but, able to anticipate yeah and, and follow and... how do i quantify that yeah how do I, what's the metric of that how do I, you know, when we're walking by the Spirit, yep. you know, in relationship, more walking by the Spirit and more Christ-likeness might mean, oh, I'm picking up on something in my brother Michael that I didn't notice before, yeah. and I ask a question, and, and you open up and you share something. It's like that was a that was a sanctified, Spirit-wrought moment right there right. where we both got, we got closer together. We both got closer to Christ. Right. Um, we both became more like Christ in that moment. There is, I don't know if there is any way to, to measure that. that yeah. I really just don't think there's any way of measure that. Right. Hey, how many Holy Ghost discipleship moments did you have in your life this week? It's like, it just, it kind of <laughs> right. robs, yeah. it robs it of its humanity. Yeah. And I think that the proof is in the pudding, the proof is in the relationships of the people around you who can say, man, I remember three years ago, you used to have a lot less control over your tongue. Yeah. But I can see now, you you do a lot better of reigning in your tongue, like the book of James talks about. Praise God for that. Right. Yeah. Oh, and then the other part is that we hate is it's slow. Yeah. That kind of growth is so slow. It is. Why yep. does Jesus and the Bible in general use all the agricultural metaphors? Because yep. it's just God's way more patient than yeah. we are. And, and there's seasons for certain things too. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's another, you know, just to circle back to the other point, it's, a, it's another vote for meeting in person, being yeah. together. Because yep. you can't do, you can't have that same familiarity the same way uh, over yeah. two screens. Nope. Yeah. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to completely eliminate Zoom or live streams or things like that, but yeah, man, they've got to be supplemental. Well, I mean, even during the pandemic, I, I just really missed my family and yeah. FaceTiming with them was just, it was good enough, but it was insufficient. Yeah. It was very insufficient. Yep. And so, yep. um, how are you feeling about your sons? My sons? Yeah. 
Well, I'm I mean, you really, only have daughters, but I'm talking about the Phoenix. I'm sons. really bummed that Chris Paul is going to miss six to eight weeks now with his thumb. It's like a like a light fracture or some yeah. sort of injury. So I will be in Phoenix on Friday. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be in Phoenix this Are Friday. Are you doing two games, right? Possibly, yeah. If I can get tickets to the Jazz game on Sunday, I'm going to go to that too. But we've got tickets for the Pelicans <laughs> game. I think that uh, the Suns have weathered. Booker was out with a hamstring injury. DeAndre was out with an ankle and with COVID. And Jay Crowder was out with a wrist and then with COVID. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Cameron Payne has been out with a wrist. We've had so many guys here, there, everywhere, and we still got the number one record in the league. Yeah. The only person who hasn't missed yet, oh, Mikhail Bridges hasn't missed, and Chris Paul. Yeah. So now we're going to get a test and but see. He's, if, I mean, it's it, it, it's to your benefit that he's injured in the regular season. Yes, for sure. And if he's got fresher legs for the playoffs? <laughs> he'll get healthy and he'll come back in. And, oh. Who's your favorite Suns player? Who is the best play- Suns player of all time? Oh, the best Suns player of all time? Well, I am partial to Steve Nash. Okay. I love Steve Nash. And I actually, I remember being in... Over uh, Kevin Johnson, over Oh, I love Kevin Johnson. Barkley. Kevin Johnson, I love Charles Barkley. But I was too young to really know them, and I was too yeah. distant. Because, yeah. you know, growing up in Alaska, I paid attention from afar. Yeah. Only ever got to see him play, like, a little bit. But I really was paying attention to the Steve Nash and Ari Stoudemire. He was a revelation at that time. Well, and Nash, oh my gosh, yes, Mike D'Antoni. What Nash did was he wasn't necessarily the best player on the court, but he made everyone else around him better. True leader. And that's what I'm like, that's what I want to be. I don't have to be the best preacher. I don't have to be the best church leader. I I just want to make everyone else around me better and find what their gifting and their calling is and, and help call that out of them. So yeah. I always re- I always related to Steve Nash. So it really pains me that he and Amari are with the Brooklyn Nets now. It kills me every time they, <laughs> they cut over to that coach's bench and I see at least the at least the Nets got rid of Harden. So the short hair. <laughs> yeah. Nets. <laughs> um well thank you for your time. Mm. Thank you for the conversation. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, man. Sorry it took, you know, whatever. It's been six months to oh, since no. your first invite. Well, your your sabbatical was worth it for you. Yeah, it was really a huge blessing. And so. I, uh, yeah, no, I'm grateful for it. It gave me more time to think and then listen to the whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right? Follow the Marcel podcast. Yeah. When it comes to playoff time, uh, I wish your sons the worst luck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if the sons and warriors meet each other, we're going to get together in person. Oh, we we'll have, we'll to. have to start watching them all. We'll put them up on the screens at the church and yeah. bring some popcorn. So. Oh, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, my privilege, man. All right. Thanks again for listening to my three-part conversation with Aaron Gray. Hope you all are doing well, and I hope to talk to you soon in the next month or two. Lord bless.